the time of Reagan and before the rise of Seagal, Snipes, and Van Damme, there was an age undreamed of. Unto this land came Arnold the Austrian. He was a barbarian, a demigod, a killer robot from the future, and he was destined to wear the crown of Hollywood upon a troubled brow. It is only his chroniclers, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran, who can tell you of his legend. This is his saga. Podcast de la Vista, baby. Say, Casey, do you think it's a bit early for us to have a very special episode of this show? <laughs> it's, about the, it's about the right time, actually. I think it is. I think this is going to be an episode that you're going to want to talk and have a conversation with your children about afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Nancy Reagan can come out. <laughs> Phyllis Schlafly. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it is, we're talking about something that is birthed out of the 80s. Right, right. But uh, I would say that this is a very educational episode mm-hmm. of Podcast to La Vista Baby. And, uh, of course, we are talking about from the year 1990, so we're slightly out of the 80s, we're talking about Kindergarten Cop, which was one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's signature comedy films, probably one of his most successful, Mm -hmm. moving outside of the action genre. And this is directed by, of course, Ivan Reitman. This is the, the guy with a great comedy pedigree who directed Ghostbusters, Stripes, and Arnold's first, uh, I guess you could say, expedition into the world of comedy, the movie Twins with Danny DeVito. Right. So we should probably introduce our guest. We're joined on the second episode of this show by a recurring panelist on Radio vs. the Martians. She's also a frequent contributor to the Ask an Atheist radio show. And an honest-to-crom real-life teacher, <laughs> Becky Friedman. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Mike. I, I, I'm actually a little bit under the weather, but I'm very, very excited to be here. I'm hoping that it's not a case of stomach flu. Oh, oh God. What did you eat? Was it the, was it the sausage? <laughs> Might have been spaghetti. Yes, the or, donuts. Yes. My <laughs> fiance, don't you those. know, is a chef. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's not difficult, even if she's feeling under the weather, for Becky to make us, so she could just limp upstairs about you know 12 feet, and she's in the studio here. So See, there you go. Yeah. Right off the bat. No, I'm, I'm very happy to be here, even if I'm a little bit under the weather. And now I'm, I'm going to not puke on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Won't show on this shirt. <laughs> so, oh, wait, wait, wait. That was the other one. That's the other oh, one. Oh, okay. So, Becky, uh, you joined us on our original episode of Radio vs. the Martians we did on Arnold Schwarzenegger. And uh, a couple years ago, could, um, could you recap us a bit with what your history with the movies of Arnold is? And uh, are you a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger? Am I a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> well, my history with the movies... Um, came after my history with Arnold, I guess, because uh, I think, you know, my my earliest memory of Arnold is the guy who signs my paper for whether I did well in PE class or not. Oh yeah, <laughs> and um, <laughs> since he was uh, Bush's, uh, I guess, representative for physical fitness, mm-hmm. it's like in a the fitness 90s. ambassador. Kind I think of? so. Yeah, I, I think the first Arnold movie that I saw was Terminator um, or Terminator Two. I think, um, and so my my conception of Arnold was always the action hero, the bad guy, not mm. the comedic Arnold. Um, so once I started being exposed to the comedic Arnold, yay! In about sixth through eighth grade, at the right right about eighth grade is when kind of people stop watching comedic Arnold, right? Because mm-hmm. it's no longer no right. longer kind of it's like just edgy enough because there might be one one, you know, F bomb that flies not even F bomb. They're say they'll say shit once yeah. S- in the, the S bomb yeah. or goddamn. Um, and so you feel a little bit edgy because, you know, you and your 12-year-old, you know, sleepover or whatever is, oh, we're watching a PG-13 movie. Um, and by that time, it's like, all right. And, you know. So. How many Arnold Schwarzenegger movies have you seen total, do you think, of uh, his work? I haven't done a count. I haven't done a count. Would you say it's less than 10? No. More than 10. I think it's probably more than 10. Okay. You know, I have So had... you're probably above average for Americans, I would I, imagine. I guess. I, I have had to chaperone a lot of long field trip bus rides on charter buses. Hmm. And so sometimes the sanitized versions of those Arnold comedies would come up, you know? Right. Or if you happen to be on a bus that, oh man, this one doesn't have a DVD player. I guess, what do we got left in VHSs? There's there's um, Kevin Bacon's The Air up there and, oh look, Junior. <laughs> hey, you know, Arnold is a king of VHS. So, so that's yeah. that's my history of Arnold. Am I a fan of Arnold in particular? Not sure. It's interesting seeing him <laughs> now as a politician cum action hero, where he actually, in, in terms of his politics, 
it's kind of interesting because he breaks a little bit with some of his, um, you know, party rhetoric. And, you know, he's he's a proponent of doing something about climate change. Um, and it's, you know, that's that's a good thing. And he says, hey, look, it, if you're not aware that this is happening, basically, you're an idiot. <laughs> so he's, he it's played, refreshing. He played the outsider in his movies, and he definitely tried to play the outsider as a politician, for sure. And that's largely part of this persona that he's crafted for himself and a huge part of the makeup of this movie, of course. Yeah, let's get into this movie a little bit. So, Becky, one of the things we like to ask our guests to do is to try to give us the TV Guide synopsis, if, like in a paragraph or so. What is and, Kindergarten? And kids, if you don't remember what TV... No. So yeah, you, 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 all remember. you are not going to remember you, TV Guide. You that was all when... remember. <laughs> no, Anyone but... listening to this, I would be surprised if we have a, a listener that has not seen a TV Guide sometime in their life. So, Becky, uh-huh. what is Kindergarten Cop about? So, Kindergarten Cop, in my estimation, is two movies, essentially, glued together. There's a 15-minute movie, and then there's an hour-and-a-half movie. But, all together, you have an improbable tough guy detective, John Kimball, and he becomes an even more improbable undercover substitute kindergarten teacher (laughs) in Astoria, Oregon, which, for whatever reason, rarely has any rain past that very first day. Um, and the reason he does this is to find the ex-wife of a drug dealer so he can clinch a conviction and locate some laundered money. That's my understanding of it. Um, but uh, along the way, Kimball uh, manages to militarize some five-year-olds <laughs> <laughs> and wins the heart of a sympathetic third-grade single mom teacher who just happens to be that woman he's looking for, all in the two-week time period uh, in beautiful coastal Pacific Northwest. It's punctuated by slapstick punches and an occasional utterance of the word vagina from a five-year-old, uh, a vertiginous but anticlimactic climb-up a radio t- tower, and a stranger danger lecture. Kimball's heart softens almost to the point of letting the bad guy get the best of him. But he so, doesn't. Good, oh, thing, wow. good thing he has a ferret. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I actually have to uh, tell our audience right now that I have an otherkin trigger warning. In this movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger beats a centaur to death with a unicorn horn. So just to get that out of the way. <laughs> that, the ferret is something that I always kind of I forget about. In this movie, and not only you mean the, Chekhov's ferret, Chekhov's ferret yes. that we build it up a couple times, yeah, and then when it, it finally ne- it strikes, never bites, it, it never, never bites, but then it bites a dude in the fucking jugular. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I love that because the you bad think, men are coming. It's okay, the ferret will protect it, but the lasers never came to fruition. Yeah, I really wanted a fucking ferret with lasers on him to like take out the bad guy. That and, really would have been like everything all t- that would be an awesome denouement. And again, you know, the ferret, you know, the thing with the lasers is that, of course, this kid um, has been sort of moved around throughout his entire life. And his mom doesn't think he remembers having to run away from their dad whenever he shows up to try to kidnap him. It was long enough in their past. So he has these little games that I think are part of his coping mechanism where he set up these lasers, which are just like these twisted up foil things around their house in the woods to protect them from, quote, the bad people. This is something that comes in like the second half of the movie. And um, the second movie, the second movie, it, it kind of does turn into a different movie, half, you know, in the first 20 minutes or so. There's movie number one. Then we have a commercial for Alaska Airlines. And yeah. then we have movie number <laughs> it's two. True. Actually, actually, I did watch this last night. My uh, sister-in-law recorded it on NBC Sunday Night Movie in the year 1992. I'm and so, so I watched this. I, so, I watched it and it very that transition very easily could be cut to black you know, get up and then it's Alaska Airlines flying. It could easily just be a commercial. It's crazy. It's kind of weird when you look at this because I really kind of look at this movie the way a lot of people look at certain nostalgic movies is that um, there's a part of the movie that everyone remembers because it's a part of the movie that sort of become a part of our pop culture. And that is Arnold screaming at five-year-olds. Yeah. That everyone remembers Arnold, you know, this action hero guy in a classroom being frustrated with, you know, it's not a Tuma to that, that weird kid who you know is going to grow up to be like an undertaker or something someday. <laughs> He's like a mortician kid. Or um, the fact that he's got like the twins from The Shining are part of his class. They're only part of the class for like the very first part with the daddy interviews, right? What does your daddy mm-hmm. do? Our daddy is a sex machine, right? <laughs> like that's the only time you really even see those weird, creepy twins. Yeah, oh, They're a stand-in just to say kids are creepy and weird, no, aren't they? They're just Ooh. like Tomas and Zaymont from G.I. Joe. One's ponytails on the left side, one to- ponytails on the right side. That's how they're different. They're going to grow yes. up and join Cobra? Yes, of course. Yes, of those course. Kids, these kids are all like 30 now. So there's <laughs> yeah. a 
very good. They could be part of Cobra. You could use the same actresses and put them in the next G.I. Joe movie. <laughs> but um, They could be the gender swap Tomas and Zaymont. What I kind of love is that there's a part of the movie that we all remember. We all remember, you know, like, you do you other people's launches? Stop it! We remember him just, like, flipping out and being out of place. And eventually, you know, his heart softens and he becomes a great teacher and the kids love him. And he sort of wins over the town, and it makes him want to leave being a cop to be a kindergarten teacher. That's the part everyone remembers. But you forget the fact that the first half, the first 15 minutes, like you said, Becky, and like the last 10 minutes of this movie is like an action movie. And it's such a jarring tonal shift that shouldn't work but kind of does for me, where you forget, yeah, this is a movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, complains about having to read stories about bears going shopping to children. <laughs> But it still ends with him gunning down a bad guy in a bathroom. Yeah, just emptying a couple shells in his chest. I will say, when you when you mentioned that to me before, I did not remember the look of sort of unshaven Schwarzenegger with the round sunglasses and the trench coat. I did not have any of that in my mind's eye at all. I nor did I. Um, and it's probably because it, we, you know, when you used to rent movies, you'd see the trailers for things like a thousand times, and maybe you'd watch the movie twice. And I think I haven't seen this movie for probably twenty years. I'm I'm guessing for twenty years. Um, you remember those ones because you've you've seen those images, those same cuts probably 20 or 30 times and they i don't know if they even included that maybe they did the party pooper line they probably put the party pooper line in the trailer i you know what i was with you too i just did not remember that that's how the movie started out and i had misappropriated the i am the party pooper to like a different movie exactly it totally wasn't in this movie in my head because i mean it the other thing is when he goes in to be the party pooper he shoots up a bunch of stuff, but there's such bad like AVR over it that's just yeah. like slapstick sounds. It's really clunky, and it's it's bizarre. And then again, commercial. He, Cut to he, commercial and go to Oregon. Yeah, he well, he just uh, he he really has a hatred for couches. He you does. Know, he's like, Shit, I he love that. Shoots that's, a hole in the couch. That's the thing is the first fifteen minutes of this movie just doesn't gel in your head. And again, it, I think it's because we saw all those trailers a bunch of times. It's like when you watch Home Alone mm-hmm. for the first time twenty years later. Yeah, you remember all the traps and all that stuff because that was in the trailer over and over again, and that was part of our pop culture. But you forget the fact that like another hour of that movie. Well, the setup involves being in an indoor mall, which I also didn't remember either. And this is my fourth favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie to feature an indoor mall. Yes. I like we have a, a, an echelon. <laughs> We've got a hierarchy of Arnold Schwarzenegger mall movies. I think this is my favorite bathroom shooting from Arnold. <laughs> but I think... Um, you don't like the, the bathroom uh, clobbering that happens in the, the third Terminator or whatever? There's that one. I know there's True one. Lies. True Lies has a bathroom. That's yes. a killing. There's a lot of bathroom attacks. I think um, Last Action Hero has one. Um, but yeah, so, I'm a- so the party poopa with his poop lines that yes. was actually prescient. <laughs> yeah, uh, what I love at the beginning of this movie is that he is really playing standard movie Arnold. Totally. Um, he's dressed in like a khaki trench coat with the round sunglasses, and he's got that like three day beard on. And he kind of looks the way Kyle Reese did at the beginning of Terminator. You're you know, right. Like, his character is more like Riggs from uh, from Le- Loaded we- Loaded Weapon, Lethal Weapon. <laughs> Lethal Weapon. It's more like you know he's kind of like the my wife left me and you know this sucks, but all I am is a cop on the edge. Yeah, he's totally Riggs. Yeah, he goes in with a shotgun that has a laser sight on it. <laughs> Remember when laser sights were cool? Also, a shotgun is not a weapon that you need to lay. You're not going to be far enough away with a shotgun that it's going to do any good with a laser sight. Tough cop, tough California cop Arnold is also really super creepy to his um to the women victims. Oh, the, ju- the junkie, yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna be getting to know a lot of you. Yeah. And he's super creepy and gross, yeah. and he handcuffs up to the dead guy. I mean, it's yeah. Like terrible. So it's, go- it's good cop, bad cop because uh uh o- O'Hara 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 it's his O'Hara. partner Phoebe O'Hara is like, I'll buy you dinner. Uh, I'll, I'll make you dinner. No, and then she walks away. And then his is the bad cop routine where he walks into the. And what I love is he's coming up the stairs. And this is in the the era where if you in a movie had a scene where there are criminals, it wasn't hip hop playing. It's instead it's like rock music. Yeah, it's like some kind of really stop whining. You're like, oh, that doesn't happen. And there's no one listens to heavy metal who's a criminal anymore. I kind of love criminal parties <laughs> in movies like this because all the bad guys in this. By the way, the ones outside in the end credits are credited as Street Tough one through three. 
And the guys inside are low life, like one through five. <laughs> low, low life. life. <laughs> um, when they walk in, and he beats the shit out of a bunch of people. He headbutts one guy, pushes one guy through a mirror. Right. Uh, again, this is stuff you don't expect to see in a movie with Arnold getting frustrated at children. Yeah. <laughs> he pushes a guy through a glass coffee table. Right. Which, you know, if you're in an action movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger and you have a glass coffee table, someone's going through it. Those guys give up really quickly because there's at least two people with guns, and yeah. they just uh, hit air apparently when they shoot him, and they duck out of the way just in time to have like lots of beer bottles blow up, but they don't get shot. And same thing with the couch. Was Arnold gonna shoot if that guy didn't dive away? Where he's Ooh. like, "Who are you, man?" He's like, <laughs> "Bam!" And the couch just explodes and skitters away. And he, I'm the party pooper. <laughs> and it is. It feels like a different movie, and I I kind of love the fact because it's it makes the fish out of water even more out of water because right. he's not playing. Well, he's playing a like slightly sanitized version of Arnold as we see him in things like Predator. But he's still just beating the shit out of people as a first resort, threatening people as a first resort. Yeah. Um, he's got no time for this shit. Like, he's got no time for this witness walking. He's going to go and effectively intimidate her by saying, we'll do, I'm, I'm going to be with you all the time. Days. Nights. Weekends. weekends <laughs> holidays. <laughs> It's pretty creepy, but yeah, there's. It's weird because you think of this, but being... he's not the creepy grab ass in this. So we've, this is the thing: is that sometimes Arnold is the creepy grab grab ass in the movie. The creepy grab ass is the police chief. Every scene that the police chief is in there with Arnold and and Phoebe O'Hara, he's got his arms and hands all over their bodies. This was Sorry. this was early '90s and mid '90s is really when a lot of the workplace sexual harassment um, <laughs> trainings came t- came of age, if you will. Right? I mean, this is this is when that kind of was happening. So, who do you think got more? Who caused the policemen to have to sit down for more seminars about appropriate behavior? Was it Arnold or the chief? <laughs> well, Arnold was fraternizing with all of the people he was trying to extract information with. Yeah. I, I also love that the police station in uh, this movie, which you only see. For a couple scenes, is kind of your textbook action movie police station because it's like impossibly busy. There is no way that there's ever that many people walking around, even in a metropolitan. Like there's just like like suspects and criminals all over the place. There's at least like seven or eight cops walking in the same stretch of hallway, ringing phones. You're like, come on, no, it's got to be more boring than this. These guys have to be out in the street. I love that when we do see the street criminals at that party. When the the building in that party kind of looks like that hideout in the first Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> Where all the kids are sent by Shredder to go hang out and play video games and smoke. It's like the, I, I love. They all look like Double Dragon bad guys. <laughs> There's a lot of overt background stuff too, like the the uh, neon sign behind the window where the couch is, where he's sitting on it, is the bridal shop. <laughs> the, Which is, I guess, it's prescient. I guess you can have that a, had to have been a choice. A scary hideout with your your party with guns and explodey things on top of a bridal shop. Yeah, why not? Maybe the cheap. It's really cheap. Uh, rent around there (laughs) maybe the bridal shop is like they're just getting started and they can only start in the bad guy neighborhood Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so anyways we should probably get a bit into oh yeah we got to keep going talking into this movie but um i like how the beginning of the movie is played totally straight the end is played totally straight and you can almost forget about the tone because the villain of the movie cullen crisp i think his name Mm -hmm. is just completely disappears from the movie for like 40 minutes right and they actually do a pretty good job of making him pretty menacing, and like his mother is pretty menacing. Yeah, he's that way because he's got an overbearing evil mother. He's that way, and we can tell that because he has a ponytail. That's true. <laughs> oh yeah, he is total trash. Well, the first time you see you see him is in when he's waiting his for his mom to get her hair done in the salon. Like that's how you know how much of a mama's boy he is. And I always thought, does, is his mom dress him too? I wonder if she dresses him. She's very. She's definitely takes a hand in it, but you get sort yeah. of the impression that she sort of brought him into being a criminal. Like this is right. a family second I am, generation. I am kind of a big fan of of people who have a parent who's also a criminal, <laughs> and they kind of do crime together. Like she's a big part of this criminal organization. I think it's pretty. No, it's clear from the action though that he's like that. You never see them do anything drug related. Like he kind of murders that guy, the, the witness at the very beginning. Uh, he he looks like he'd be a he'd be a terrible criminal though. From everything that you're there, he's just like he he kind of slinks around, leaves too much evidence, like beats people up in the middle of the day. He seems like he'd be a terrible criminal. Yeah, he does beat up that guy to get the remote control cars, <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, you have to hang around town for a couple of days getting your kid. You know, you can get arrested. Well, no, I mean, he left two hundred dollars in the guy's pocket. 
That makes it okay. <laughs> As provided you pay enough, you can assault somebody. Okay, so we'll move on here. So after they get their assignment, they fly on the Alaska Airlines commercial um, where there are some, there are some uh, what do you call it? We call it some... Uh, kids kicking seats. Kids kicking seats. And that's, that's to let you know what's going to be happening. Temper's uh, going to be short. I have a question about that. Yeah. Arnold is basically like a static object, right? <laughs> oh, you, couldn't, you could not move that seat. Like, how He's could a, a seven-year-old kick a seat, an air, <laughs> even the flimsiest airline seat of the 90s? How could a child kick that seat and have Arnold repeatedly being bonked forward? <laughs> He's got to weigh like 300 pounds. Strong kids. Oh, man, those kids are dangerous. But he does threaten one of those children by breaking a pencil. <laughs> he also takes the kid's truck. Yeah. Yeah, that's awful. So not only not only is Arnold going to be called into the office when he gets back on sexual harassment uh, you know, charges, he's also going to be written up for threatening children and s- stealing kids' property. And I think John Kimball just assumes that no one actually reports him. I, nobody ever does report him. No. There's a part in this movie later on, um, spoiler, but uh, where he uh, finds out that one of the kids who is kind of a red herring kid for the person who may be the son of the criminal that's coming to town, uh, tur- the kid turns out to have been just abused by his father. Arnold beats the shit out of this dad, this abusive father, in front of the school in broad daylight in front of at least a dozen witnesses, including his principal. Yeah. And he doesn't get into trouble for that. He goes and in, called into the principal's office. I'm sorry. It was a mistake. I shouldn't have done it in front of the kids. <laughs> and she not only kind of tells him that, you know, gives him a slight dressing down. I mean, a very light tap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. But it's almost an attaboy because she basically just straight out asks him, what did it feel like to hit that son of a bitch? <laughs> and he just perks right up and just felt great. Which I have to, this is a note. This is a very uh, niche note um, in the TV edited version of it. They actually have an alternate take of that. She doesn't say son of a bitch. She says SOB and it's a different take of her mouth. So at that time they were recording alternate takes for swear words because they knew they were going to have to use them on TV later. Oh, wow. Which is, this is this is the the area in which it sort of fits because yes, this a year after release, this is going to be the Sunday night movie on NBC, and you know it's going to be. Yeah. So uh, Becky, I know that as a professional teacher yourself, somebody who is an educator, we kind of need you to Neil deGrasse Tyson this a little bit. Um, <laughs> I did keep track of some inaccuracies. <laughs> so the last time that you were given cause to assault a parent of a teacher, of I a... hit that son of a bitch, and it felt great. <laughs> so this is about the response you got from the principal when they saw you assault a kid's parent. <laughs> exactly. No, actually, um, that moment, there were a lot of things that sort of troubled me about the portrayal of education in general and the portrayal of teachers and children. Um, but this one, this one was pretty jarring because in most states and in Oregon currently, and I am fairly certain it would have been in 1990 as well, all teachers are what's called a mandatory, they're, they're called a mandatory reporter, mm-hmm. which means if you suspect or hear a, a, a report of abuse, you have to escalate it to your principal, the school nurse, who then, you know, gets social services and, and police involved. And he doesn't do that because there's a nice sympathetic mom that says, no, 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 he's in counseling. I swear it's okay. It's okay that, you know, he'll, he'll never beat the kid again. And he said, fine, just this once. I'm not going to tell anyone, which is horrible. Like, it's horrible. And I guess it's portrayed horribly as well in the film because he does end up, you know, the, the child does end up getting beaten again by the father. And then his way of resolving it, you know, John Kimball's way of resolving it is to assault the guy. Just in front of the, the school. He's going to hit him another time, but stops because the kids. He can see the kids watching. Yeah. So, um, inaccuracy number one. <laughs> what else have we got on the level of inaccuracy? Oh man. Um. So there's the the things. This isn't necessarily an inaccuracy, but something that's just terrible is the the mother who comes in and says, "I'm I'm very very disturbed because my five year old son oh, yeah. is playing with dolls." Yeah. And then the answer that this kindergarten just, teacher gives. It's okay. He's using it to look up girls' skirts. Oh, that's such a relief. <laughs> Don't worry. He's a sex offender in training. Exactly. So so that we, I would hope that any teacher that does that and reinforces that would be called to the carpet. <laughs> Get to the carpet. <laughs> Back to the carpet. Oh. I don't have my whistle on me. So. <laughs> right, because I use a whistle to organize sure. my, my drill, you know, my... 
I, I am a drill sergeant in the school. No, my father actually had told me a story of the worst teacher that he ever had. And it was a teacher who used a whistle and the teacher who was just power hungry and the teacher who just because he could made the kids march around in a circle one direction for 15 minutes, blew his whistle and made them march in the other direction for 30 seconds. And I remember my father telling me this when I was a really little girl and I was upset with something that my teacher had done because I thought that it was unfair. And he said, you don't know what an unfair teacher is like, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Uphill in the winter. Right. Um, So... And then I remember very, very like potently in sixth or seventh grade when we saw this at a sleepover, I was like, oh, he's making the kids march in a circle when they're practicing the Gettysburg Address. And But here's the thing that, that is this inaccuracy. It's praised. And I don't know if this could really be called an inaccuracy because there are schools that would praise this kind of behavior from a teacher. Um, but what's worse than that, what's more insidious than that is that it perpetuates in the general viewing public, in the general consumer's mind of the, you know, general Arnold comedy, um, that, uh, oh, ha, 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 teacher, it doesn't take any training at all. All you need to do is be a police officer. And it it perpetuates this idea that you can be warm and nurturing and awesome and excellent and orderly and, and create good results from awesome kids that just warm your heart if you just, you know, start out by being a complete asshole doing terrible things that are detrimental to children's development <laughs> and you had to scream at them a little bit yeah um and the thing is at the end of course you know he does decide to become a real teacher but doesn't he actually needs certification for that he can't just fall into the job because they like him yes now this is this is also perpetuating the idea that oh anyone can just yeah. be a teacher it's not that hard right it's hard for that first week but once you whip their whip them into shape and kick their butts a little bit and degrade them, then it's fine. (laughs) Anyone can be a teacher, even he who has no training whatsoever. And boy, did we show that principle wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck you, man. (laughs) So so we could take that into consideration. And yes, it is a little distressing when they're basically army marching, these these, like indoctrinating these little kids around in police school. Um, However... The large part of the charm of the movie, and I can't help myself smiling when it happens, a large part of the charm is the comedy of these these little actors, these little kids, because it's that it's that great period before they're kid actors, how all kid actors are, would they act terribly, where these are, some of these kids could just be telling their actual stories and they're just getting I them really on camera. I really have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. That was the best kid actor. Yeah, she some was of them the are best. so fucking funny. Some doesn't, of them are hilarious. Doesn't the little bathroom girl? Isn't she like the little kid in Beethoven or something as well? I can. I've seen her in stuff before. I don't know, but she is or the maybe best. Maybe Mrs. Doubtfire. No, Mrs. Doubtfire is the other girl. I don't know. The best moment for her, I think, was the bit where she's telling the story about her dad. Casey, I think that's what you were on to when you said these are just kids talking. Really, what their dad do? Yeah, because you know, she starts. She sounds like she's talking about her real dad. It sounds yeah. like some of the kids were told to say stuff about their real dad, and other kids said things that were scripted. Right. And hers felt so real. She's like, and um, he's got a mustache and a beard, and <laughs> he doesn't know. And she starts to say one thing, and then just goes, and his head is so big that he can't even wear any hat. <laughs> and that felt so real in that moment. Right. It's very genuine. Um, well, you also, I will say this is a credit to Arnold Schwarzenegger's acting, too, because, of course, adding the children element to it, and they... A lot of it is sold through the score. Like, the score is so saccharine in this movie. It's crazy. Randy Edelman did the score. Yeah. The same guy who wrote the theme song to The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. <laughs> Thanks for that obscure grab bag trivia there. But, like, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger does a really good job of selling, like, selling the guy whose heart is being melted by these kids. And I'd say that this shows how mature of an actor he gets past this point is that not only does he know he can do comedy if he's in the right type of role in the fish out of water type of role, but he also can do a comedy that, uh, that isn't just about comical misunderstandings the way that twins is, Mm -hmm. but it's really about trying to place an Arnold like prototype in this other situation and, and having a little saccharine drama play over it and i think it works really well i think his i think his demeanor and his face and his reactions sell it really well it's really well done i think he's got a lot of range that a lot of people don't know how to bring out of him maybe ivan reitman knows how to do it i think that I think this he, and he insisted that Ivan Reitman direct this movie. It I, makes sense. He was not the original director on this Ivan project. Reitman is a great comedic director who's done some really, really good movies. And maybe there's certain actors that 
he can take that you don't normally think of as a great actor, but he can pull a performance out of him. Arnold actually shows a decent amount of range in this movie Mm -hmm. from being like this cold, crazy, catchphrase spouting badass at the beginning who's just blows the shit out of all their furniture with a shotgun. (laughs) And then you have scenes that are he's genuinely really sweet with these kids. Um, moments of him being gentle or quiet or understated that mm-hmm. actually land things with him kind of responding and he's got a you know in a way that is nonverbal like there's a bit where they're driving to town because originally there's no way they would have put him undercover as a kindergarten teacher right. and it's his partner Phoebe O'Hara who's supposed to go undercover but she's too busy vomiting up probably gallons and gallons of this food <laughs> that she's been eating up until this point that it's there's just too many suspects to point out where the food poisoning came from <laughs> but she was supposed to have this job and what i find so uh fun about it is that there's a bit where they have to pull over and she's throwing up there's like a montage of them getting mm-hmm. to astoria and you see them go from being kind of combative to them actually being friends and supportive of each other without any dialogue without any um uh, anything other than just the, the them going through the process of having to pull over so she can throw up mm-hmm. to the point that she collapses to the point that at the end she basically just has her arm around him and he's just kind of holding her up as they walk back to the car. Yeah. And it starts out as him kind of being like, oh, again. And eventually it's like very supportive and he's being actually very sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's like one bit where she starts to throw up and he makes that little thing like with his face like he's going to throw up. <laughs> and it's just it's this is more from Arnold than I'm used to seeing. And he's actually quite good. Yeah. Yeah. The, it gets to the point where the following day, without even saying anything, without checking in, he just takes on the role of the undercover kindergarten teacher. Right. And it's just unspoken. Nope. This is what needs to happen. Well, and I would I'd chalk that up to the fact that. Like uh, they've established that he doesn't have a life, that his character, John Kimball, his life now is trying to put Crisp in jail because he's sort of his his enemy number one, his, his, his nemesis. His white whale. His white, yes. Do we allow- so he knows what he's going to do whatever it takes to make sure that he gets, you know, that he gets him in jail. And that includes doing the one thing that he is impossible to do. But I like right? the fact that he just does it because normally most movies, I think what you're saying, Becky, is that they would have an argument where she would yell at him and make him take the job. But it's sort of clear that there's no way she's going to be able to go into work while she's that sick because she is just falling apart. And he just sort of takes it on. And I do kind of like he does, of course, have a gun under his jacket that she tells him to take (laughs) off. The gun part actually was was jarring to me because I said, wow, it's been as far back as the 1990s when cops thought it was a good idea for people to be armed inside public schools Mm. and sort of that cowboy uh, mentality there. And here's the thing. She says, no, lose the gun. And then he is imagining that the kids are going to be complete terrors. And she says, on second thought, take the gun. <laughs> Woo! I have to say that on this subject of sort of Arnold's range in this role, it's the for me, it's the scene that he's uh, at dinner where Phoebe is pretending to be his sister. And um, the the love interest, other teacher, says, tell me about why are you, how did you become a teacher? And he's basically invented this backstory to go undercover, which they've established his character has gone undercover before and is probably used to playing along. But you can tell that he's adapted part of his own life story about becoming a cop because his dad was a cop to becoming a teacher because his dad was a teacher and his mom was a teacher. And in Austria, we follow in our footsteps. That stuff was like, obviously that was scripted stuff, but the way he does it is so genuine. And you you used to kind of like, oh, John Kimball's actually a good undercover police officer, but also Arnold Schwarzenegger is a good actor to sell this as well. Yeah. I was, that shocked me and surprised me. And they do have a little bit of a reaction shot from, from Phoebe. She's like, oh my God, he's right. actually good at his job because right. they start out kind of being at odds with each other at the very beginning but i do like that they drop that right i don't away. work with i work alone i don't work with partners yeah yeah i do do really like the chemistry between him and the actress who plays uh phoebe uh, pamela reed uh they're great together it and seems. they don't ever try to make it a romantic pull as well which is also nice yeah i yeah. actually just love their chemistry and to the point that you can see that they genuinely like each other at the end of the movie um and of course they bring in phoebe's uh fiance <laughs> who's i guess he's the movie's jar jar binks yeah <laughs> but he's used what very... gave you that idea pink satin bathrobe <laughs> yes. pink satin bathrobe clumsy knocking over everything injuring arnold at the end um but yeah i kind of like those little things because it makes them all more more of characters. 
Um, but I do kind of like the introduction of him because it comes at that part of the movie where it's been long enough in, you know that Crisp is coming to Astoria and he goes back to the hotel and he sees there's a car parked there. So you don't know if it's the beginning of that part of the movie where the action and the bad guy stuff starts to be pumped back into it. Maybe they found out. And of course, he just catches his partner in bed with her fiance. But I kind of like that he's got the gun by the dresser by the door. Yeah. <laughs> so anticipating there may be a moment that he may have to attack his own hotel room. Right. I think that's kind of cool, but it's just little things like that to make these people more of characters. That, you know, Phoebe has her own life sort of happening there, and what she sort of finds that's, out- His name was what? Henry Shoop? It rhymes with Stoop. Stoop, yeah. Stoop. Stoop? But I kind of like that- Tell me, tell me, how how do you say it? Stoop, Stooping. He's the Stoopper. Stoop. He's, I, that's I, what he's doing, I'm guessing. My favorite part of that scene- Cooking and Stooping. Is, is, you know, I just it was painful watching him try and cover his dong and his butt <laughs> at the same time. Like- that was just dumb. It was definitely a Jar Jar Binks moment. But at the same time, I loved it because Phoebe, she's just sitting there eating spaghetti. She's still like naked. She's just kind of like, probably there were some other takes where her tits were hanging out. And she's just like, whatever. That, he's my fiance. I'm doing him because it's my birthday, man. And it's just kind of like, you do you, woman. You know? I, I love that, she, that that was a character thing with her. The fact that she's always eating something. Just like constantly. Um, and the fact that they mentioned the hypo, I seem, oh, I get a little crazy if I don't eat anything. But yeah, that it plays into the character trip that leads to her being sick. But also, right. I like the fact that even while she's clearly in bed with her fiance, she's eating pasta. And I just, because <laughs> pasta is not an easy thing to eat, it's not finger food. What better activity to do to accompany sex than <laughs> eating pasta? <laughs> But yeah, I and I just love the second half of the movie, except for the action stuff at the end. Phoebe's main thing is trying to get Arnold laid. Yeah, that she's yeah. trying to hook him up. But actually, the the date that they wasn't originally a date where they end up uh, sharing a table at a restaurant uh, with uh, Arnold's love interest, who's also the teacher there, um, Joyce, and her son. Who, of course, they end up being the people that the bad guy's looking for. Uh, Phoebe actually just in it just quickly decides to go undercover as Arnold's sister. And this is one of the few places where the movie acknowledges Arnold's accent. Because, well, no, there was another place, but we'll get to that in a minute. Oh, yeah. But, but the, her, her accent was lamentable. It was oh, yeah. oh yeah. I, we live in Austria. It's like, I'll, oh, I'll have the, where, uh, what is it? I'll have the something mit cheese or whatever. Yeah. Like she uses mit Bl- in there. Blueberry pie mit ice cream. Yeah, mit ice cream. <laughs> and I just kind of love that she still is eating like crazy while she's undercover as as Ursula, his, t- his uh, sister. And what's kind of fun about it is most of the time in these movies, Arnold has a name like John Smith. And the movie just doesn't acknowledge that the accent is there. They just Everyone moves along as if he isn't obviously a guy with a thick Eastern European accent. And this movie just kind of steers into it and makes it part of his character. Mm-hmm. Like mentioning that he's originally from Austria, which they never do. They never yeah. bother to give most of his characters He actually backstory. speaks German when he's uh, having to haul Phoebe's body out of the car into the That's hotel. That's my favorite part. And it's like, it's like something, something, I'm very angry is what he says. But he's actually speaking German, which is only this, this is only the second movie, the one of two movies that I, that I remember that Schwarzenegger is speaking German. The other is Escape Plan, which with Sylvester Stallone. Other than that, his German is like nowhere to be found in his movies. I, I really liked that moment. And if we were going to do any high point, low point, that would be my high point because seeing and acknowledging someone um, you know, say, hey, you know what? Let's acknowledge Arnold's, you know, other talent. He's bilingual. Like, right. he's kind of like a, a, you know, action hero, meathead kind of character. But, you know, he's got a range of acting. He knows two languages fluently, at least. And let's give him a, right. the ability to throw that in a little bit. And I wonder if that's um, reflective of something that was actually scripted or Arnold. It. Because the thing is, when you are bilingual, um, you, uh, in your moments of frustration or pain, go to your most dominant language. That's true. And Mm. so it is said that, like, spies, you know, abroad uh, are discovered because they start cursing in their native language when they're tortured or something like that. Mm. So I was wondering if... He knows that he has to have this scene where he's he's lifting Phoebe into the hotel room after she's dehydrated and just passed out from vomiting. And he knows that he has to say, like, oh, my God, this is so heavy and I can't believe this is what I've gotten myself into. But he's frustrated and, um, you know, having to, to maneuver this and he just kind of falls back on his n- most dominant language. I like that a lot. Yeah, and um, you would, it's the, so subtle you would, you would basically miss it if you weren't really paying attention. 
it's it's great because it's better than any scripted dialogue would be in that moment. That you don't want to have him be quippy or anything. You just want to want to. He just needs to be angry, and it's best if you don't understand it because you can always assume that it's way dirtier than you think it is. Like he's really pissed off. <laughs> um, I I just kind of love that. Um, they usually don't acknowledge that he's Austrian. They usually don't acknowledge that, but it sort of makes Arnold character more of a person and mm-hmm. it also makes Arnold somebody who has opportunities for more reign. This is why I was thinking there's large parts about this movie that's in sort of in the text and out, but a lot that's outside the text that I think this is actually where Arnold Schwarzenegger is trying to more carefully introduce himself to the rest of the world as a person and not as just the action the badass action movie star. First and foremost, um the uh the inclusion of the plot points about having physical education being what he puts the uh, the kids through, the themes of parental abuse, um, those were his – he a- insisted that those be added into the script. Those were his political yeah. bugaboos, I guess, right? Um, he- and obviously later later he would make that his sort of thing that he, he actually gets gloms onto the H.W. Bush administration and becomes sort of an apparatchik for them for a little while. Um, but he also – like he's introducing himself as an Austrian and he's like – now he's getting across that he's not just this hard ass. He's also also this sensitive guy as well with this larger range. And I can't help wondering – not just for hearing the, him say California, California. In, the, in the way that he does. If it's sort of like there, this is the time when Arnold was like, now I'm a real thing. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a real thing now. And I can, I can live outside of just this one thing that I do. So this is like Arnold's quinceanera. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think he's been in movies for about 15 years at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I look at this and it is kind of him introducing other parts of himself and trying to bring more range because you don't want a lot of range in most Arnold action movies. You kind of just want him to respond to things, maybe growl at things, get a catchphrase, smile for the camera a little bit. And he's great at that stuff. And one of the things I think that made Arnold really good in the field of comedy is that he's not afraid to look ridiculous. He's not afraid to put himself out there in an undignified way and his facial expressions yeah. of surprise and shock and just going like, ah, are great. <laughs> I, I did keep a list also of things that were very accurate about teaching and one of them is specifically used as comic relief but also showing Arnold's range and that is after that first day when things just go all to hell and he the only saving grace was bringing out his toy ferret or his pet ferret excuse me um but he comes he comes home to the hotel and she says how was your day and he just collapses on the bed <laughs> totally totally accurate and then he mumbles without even making eye contact Go away. <laughs> and it's supposed to be like, oh, look at the poor guy that doesn't know how little humans work. Right? And it's supposed to be comic relief, but that is totally, completely accurate. Also, running midday to your car and screaming or crying. <laughs> also, a not infrequent occurrence in education. Um, I, I will also say that 11 years of teaching, I've taught pre-K through 12 I have had a class where you just stop in the middle and you go, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, just shut up, shut up, because you're like, you're like, you lose it. It's not a proud moment of mine. It wasn't even a particularly inexperienced year of mine. They did happen to be high schoolers, so maybe they didn't start crying just like the little kids, but like those are legitimate moments in the life of an educator, and Arnold could carry those. Hmm. Nice. <laughs> nice. Oh, so we should probably start to, to wrap this up a little bit. Sure. With, I just uh, have to say, though, I had this one observation that I wrote down. You know the moment, moment that I knew that Colin was an asshole, and it wasn't very early on? It's when he started burning the fucking books. You know that anyone who burns <laughs> books in a movie is an asshole, and they have to be dealt with. And it's not the guy who speaks German who does it. No. <laughs> So um, we want to kind of, okay, so I want to wrap up this conversation with the two questions that we always toss out at the end of always. By the way, we've done this once before. (laughs) Forever and ever. So uh, the two questions we always ask. uh, First one is, Arnold aside, how does this hold up as a movie? Is this a a good movie? Is Kindergarten Cop a good movie? No. Well, which which Kindergarten Cop? Because remember, I maintain that there are two movies. Let's just say as a as an overall whole. As no, no, because of the two damn movies thing. No, I, I um the the jarring inconsistency between the opening fifteen minutes and then the very last five minutes 
Um, I don't know. And it's it's also the the thing that makes the movie inappropriate to show to anyone about under age eight or yeah. nine. But yeah. the whole middle movie, <laughs> the whole middle movie is the thing that makes it boring for anyone over age 15. I mean, unless you're, you know, like doing your bills at the same time that it's on the back, you know, on the TV in the background or you're trapped on a charter bus with a bunch of sixth graders or, you know, any of those circumstances. I think the middle movie is a little bit saccharine, kind of boring, contrived, and I don't think that it all works well together. I appreciate all those little points, um, but uh, no, no. Gets, <laughs> gets my downvote. Uh, I'm completely unable to divorce this from nostalgia, but I'll try. Uh, I think it's weird that it's it's never it's not a movie that yeah you ever show to kids of this sort that are being portrayed in the movie. You'd never show this to kindergartners. It was a PG-13 movie for goodness sakes, because there is a guy obviously who gets his fucking chest blown open in a bathroom. And there's squibs in this movie. Yes, bits of yes. the fake blood hit the camera lens. Uh, I will, however, say um, because of the known quantity of Arnold Schwarzenegger as the badass action hero and the hilarious juxtaposition of him being the guy who has to deal with the kids. Um, I think that it makes for a funny set piece. I think you're right. There's a weird, the, the middle is so extended of him, basically the long montage of him getting to be a good teacher. So it's so strangely at odds with the, the setup and the fact that he never relapses into being badass John Kimball ever. Ever, until the end. He's not even he's... really the hero at the end. The ferret's right. the hero at right. the end. And, Fe- and, and Phoebe's the, the, the hero. And the comic relief... Uh, sidekick. Yeah, sidekick is the one that's the hero. So I think it I think it doesn't work all that well as... A, it does not work all that well as a cohesive movie. However, I still think that the charming parts about it are ver- still very charming. I'm kind of in the same boat, and definitely on one thing, is I have a very hard time separating this from my nostalgia goggles, that I... I I grew up watching this movie and I've seen it in theaters. I've probably watched it at least five times all the way through in my whole life. I haven't seen it in at least a decade before prepping for this. And the weird thing is you're both right. (laughs) That's the part that is so weird about this is you're both absolutely right. I can hear every negative thing about this movie and hear about all the things that are disjointed and jarring and Variety Magazine had a quote where they called it a mishmash of violence, psychodrama and lukewarm kitty comedy. And <laughs> it's true. And lukewarm. Jesus. If this... you want to do the kitty comedy of the fish out of water, how do I deal with this? You have three men and a baby. You have look who's talking. I yeah. mean, those are the ones that you use for kitty comedy. And I think it's trying to capitalize on that a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say this one is lukewarm. And that's the thing that's so weird about this is every piece does not work. It doesn't work. It's kind of like that chili and chutney sandwich (laughs) that Rimmer has in an early episode of Red Dwarf. It doesn't work. Every piece of this thing doesn't work, yet I like it. And Mm. I I don't know if it's simply just nostalgia or if the fact that Arnold is genuinely charming and shows range in this movie, that there are genuine laugh lines that aren't just me laughing at it ironically – I like the fact that he comes home at one bit and Phoebe is unconscious and she fell asleep reading Guns and Ammo. I mean, little things like <laughs> yeah, that. Right. The little touches that this movie have, I think Arnold is engaging. I think he has great screen chemistry with the kids. He's got great screen chemistry with Pamela Reed, who plays Phoebe, uh, with his love interest. He's got good moments with the the bad guy. I like the fact that the bad guy has a mom who ends up being the final boss of the movie (laughs) who gets taken out with a baseball bat. Uh, There's things that just shouldn't work, but I I end up liking it. And Mm -hmm. I don't even know if I can accurately defend why I like it because I don't think that the reasons that I like it are rational. (laughs) Well, uh, this is the, this is the thing. It's, it's very emotive. I think, I think I felt a lot of, you know, I'm a, a parent now, so I read those scenes differently than probably you do, Mike, about being with the kids. It it, it was it. There's something especially pleasant about seeing when Arnold learns to be awesome and to play along with the kids, and you can tell it's having an effect. He's selling the fact that it's having an effect on him. That stuff really resonates really well. It you does. Get, you get the impression that Arnold, the real life guy, really likes children. Yeah. Which is something that you wouldn't see in a lot of other movies where he they likes throw... making children with Guatemalan housekeepers. Woo! <laughs> that Sorry. too, but he, um, <laughs> he, you get the impression that he genuinely enjoys the children's presence and he likes being in scenes with them. 
And I mean, I've heard stories about this before. I think uh, Alyssa Milano has said that when she was like 10 and on the set of Commando, that Arnold helped her with her homework. And he seems like Mm. a genuinely sweet guy. So, I mean, it's believable. All the stuff on screen at the end when Phoebe comes in to talk about stranger danger and um, like, the kid who comes up who always talks about how boys have a penis and girls have a vagina, uh, you see a smile on Arnold's face and it's totally believable. I mean, I, I buy him in that. So, okay, that aside, looking at this as an Arnold movie, the, the real question is, how does this hold up as part of the Schwarzenegger canon? Does this mm. movie have the quality we like to call absurd macho bullshit? N- no, I mean it tries at the obviously it tries at the beginning to set it up, and that's part of the joke. That's the big capital J joke of this is it's Arnold, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger in any other Arnold Schwarzenegger movie thrown into another like at the time warp of another movie, um, and it's. It fails all of the badass Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff at the beginning. Kind of fails the test of actually being a good Arnold thing. He walks. He walks around like the Terminator, right, and has catchphrases. Uh, I love my car, you know. Um, but it's it's not satisfying in the same way, and it can't be satisfying in the same way that another one does because you got to be able to have a PG thirteen rating. So we can't be like blowing the fingers off of people and stuff. But yeah. I think this is definitely part of Arnold Cannon, and I never would have removed it in my mind from Arnold Cannon. I think that it's the middle of that, and it it shows it's just the movie. I mean, it's a movie movie, that he did. The movie replicates his life. It's a movie that he did. I would agree. Badass. The middle of it, which is the '90s, is stupid comedies, and then Mm. he goes back to being a badass. It's a hero's journey. Arnold Odysseus Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I yeah, I'm I'm kind of in that. I think this movie has more absurdo macho bullshit than I think I ever expected it to. Because I think again, the nostalgia, you know, factor is that the stuff everyone remembers is the stuff with Arnold being frustrated with small children and them saying cute things and him reacting. We don't remember the fact that he does, you know, shotgun the shit out of this party at the beginning of the movie. And he does have catchphrases at the beginning of the movie about being the party pooper. And um, even he says, he doesn't say knock, knock, but he says something after knocking that guy through a mirror. He just looks at him and goes, thank you. <laughs> and there's a lot, there's more of it than you'd imagine. And the fact that not only does he shoot a guy, because normally you just put your hand over the wound to show people, the audience where you got shot. They actually have a squib in it. And right. that is a bit more than I expect. There's more profanity in this movie. Then I expected the first line of the movie, by the way, is he's going through the mall. He's following Crisp and uh, Crisp is ducking around and Arnold is following him on the upper layer, the upper floor of the, the mall. And he's going down an escalator and he has to sort of, you know, push his way through some people. And his first line of the movie is to this woman as he pushes past her is, excuse me. And you see her say under her breath shithead (laughs) and you just it's it's fucking great and it sort of sets the tone that it's just kind of like whoa i didn't expect this much profanity or this much violence you know normally if you have a movie where the bad guy is finally defeated by getting bitten by an animal it's always the gun hand this ferret bites him in the side of the neck (laughs) it's always the gun hand or if it were PG, the ferret would have bit him in the balls. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's really what what would yeah. have made it. There the are full no kids nut, movie. There are no nut shots in this at all. Actually, nope. no that's, football to the groin. That's really that's strange. Actually, the '90s was all about people getting hit in the nuts. Or even if you go a little bit younger, somebody can just get bitten in the butt. A good <laughs> yes. a good butt injury is hilarious to children. <laughs> Right. Especially a good chomp noise. So yeah, I'm I'm I guess I would put this in the Schwarzenegger canon too. Because it it's part of the the whole, I guess you could say, menagerie of Arnold projects where there's a variety. And some of them are just dumb comedies. So here's the only way that I'll contest both of your sort of agreement here on this is, yes, it's a movie that he did and therefore – and people and that was successful. So people know it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. However, a capital A, capital S, capital M, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that we like to talk about, um, I would say this was – this is between Total Recall, came out in early 1990 and made a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. It's, it's classic Arnold Schwarzenegger type movie. And then the next year is the big one for Arnold, his biggest year, Terminator 2. This is sandwiched between those two things. And people are going to remember 
they'll remember the the jokes with the kids. They're going to remember those two things as being part of Arnold Schwarzenegger and part of their canon. So I think this is just one thing that it's just a a weird little aberration, a blip on the uh, blip on the the monitor because the next time he tries to do comedy, which is Junior, um, it's just so bizarrely awful that people don't want him to do comedies anymore. So I think this is just a blip. Okay. Another reason I would put it in the canon of Arnold Schwarzenegger is because he himself says that it is his favorite movie that he's ever done. I wow. didn't know that. I didn't he's, know uh, that. Yeah, I, th- I think um, it was either with James Corden or with Jimmy Fallon. He said that it was that was his favorite movie. And huh. everyone kind of like was surprised and laughed. No, 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 really, seriously, come on. Was it, was it Terminator <laughs> 2? Was it, which one was it? Was it, you know, Commando? Like, no, he's like, no, because it was the first time that people were really taking him seriously yeah. as something other than an action yeah, hero he and that's meaning wings. that's meaningful to the actor himself mm-hmm. if we can take it out of arnold cannon i think the test of that would be could this movie have been made with a different actor sure could i think it absolutely could have. it would be a fundamentally different movie it though. would be yes i think that's i you can tell that this was a movie i know i read somewhere that they had tried to approach people like say bill murray and danny devito with this role and if they did that, a lot of the middle parts of the movie would stay the same. But the beginning and the end would be completely different. His character arc would be completely different. Uh, the jokes um, would be completely different um, in several parts of the movie because so much of the humor is that it's this hulking, scary dude who is probably the last person that you expect to see as a kindergarten teacher. It's not just Bill Murray who just doesn't like kids. That would be more of a Groundhog Day kind of vibe to it hmm. where – a guy who's kind of grumpy is put in a situation he just doesn't like and he can't get out of it. Where in this one, it's like this is a guy who wants to be in a different genre right now when the movie won't let him. And I think they wouldn't have done the opening scene uh, with him being a badass and threatening people. They wouldn't have done the pencil-breaking scene. They wouldn't have probably done police school. They would have gone in a totally different route. And there's so many of the elements of this screenplay that you can tell were rewritten to play to Arnold's strengths. And I think one of the strengths of Ivan Reitman is that he steered into that, that said, okay, what are the things Arnold's good at? What are the things that he's good at that people don't know he's good at? Yeah. And how do I highlight that stuff while hiding the stuff he's not as good at? Uh, well, I'm kind of, it's weird because I'm kind of in, in between both of you guys in the sense that I do think it's part of the Arnold canon because it has more of the elements of absurd macho bullshit than you would imagine. It's not quite the same as like Jingle All the Way, mm-hmm. which I think is closer to being a, a bad Arnold comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'd say it has more of him doing macho stupid shit. And I rewatched it again last night. I was surprised how much I enjoyed the scene with him going into the party with a shotgun. Yeah, yeah. Because it was kind of, that's the stuff you sort of expect to get in an Arnold movie. It's just, there's a little bit, it's like the safety is still on. <laughs> so you, nobody's head is going to explode. Nobody's going to get their hands stomped on. Nobody's going to get thrown through the window and come out bloody. Uh, it's it's just that thing to keep you just at the PG-13 level. But still, uh, a lot of movies would have made that even fluffier and even safer. Right. Uh, and just had something with him dangling a guy over a cliff by his ankles or something in a comedic way without him bringing out the shotgun. I just realized the most jarring image in this entire movie, which makes it an Arnold movie but not the kids' movie, is the image of the girl corpse. Yes. There's a corpse on the table that's with her dead eyes open in and, it. It's and you've just so been weird. looking at little kids yeah, and, you know, nice single mom. So weird. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's on-screen kills in this movie, which you don't normally get. In there's at least two of them that you see on-screen kills, mm-hmm. both uh, Crisp and the guy at the beginning who's the informant. It's just like Janus; they're both the same. <laughs> Crisp, Kimball, two sides of the same face. Are, are there any other Arnold movies that are trilingual? This is officially a trilingual uh, movie. That's true. Uh, there is. Uh... That well, might make it an Spanish outlier. and Terminator Two. That's two, though. <laughs> that's close enough. That's two. So besides the 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 ruffians outside the what the outside lowlifes the street the street thugs is how they're credited. Yeah, you there's... get the you get the the other end of the Hispanic portrayal spectrum with the really nice little five year old girl <laughs> saying just go and gangbusters in her own language, Mi which papa, is also yeah. What did the little girl say in that scene? She said, my my dad um, works at home and he plays games with me. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, she grew up so to get adorable. clobbered by the Cloverfield monster. Oh. She was in Cloverfield? She grew up to be a completely assimilated uh, English-speaking white girl who got clobbered by the Cloverfield monster. <laughs> oh, wow. I had no idea. Also, she became a doctor in-house. Oh, wow. Hmm. There hmm. you go. Fascinating. 
Arnold can launch the careers of five-year-olds. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Becky, um, if folks want to find out more about the work of Becky Friedman and what you're doing on the Internet, where do people find you? You can find me at askanatheist.tv, uh, where I'm on probably about three out of every four episodes. All right. Yeah. You should be the one reading stories about bears going shopping. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Thank you, everybody. And uh, we will catch you in three months. Podcast La Vista Baby is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in Tacoma, Washington and edited by Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel with opening narration by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find us online at podcastalavistababy.com and radioversusthemartians.com. Today we're going to play a new fun game. It's called Police School. I'm going to be a sheriff. You're going to be my deputy trainees. Oh, come on. Stop whining. Your kids are soft. You lack discipline. Well, I've got news for you. You are mine now. You belong to me. You're not going to have your mommy slam behind you anymore and wipe your little douches. Oh, no. It's time now to turn this mush into muscles. No more complaining. No more Mr. Kimble have to go to the bathroom. Nothing. There is no bathroom. <laughs>